Tamam. Hi kids. What's for dinner? Forgot that you call me already recording. <laughs> Don't you? That's right. Absolutely. Okay. You're on. Uh How's We're it going? Live. It's going all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I um I went to the dentist this morning and got a crown put on one of my teeth. Yeah. And it just made me think like I would I would take or why why haven't dentists created like fake teeth that you can put over like they do. your real teeth when you're eating. Oh, only when you're like eating. Like a guard. Mm-hmm. Like even that seems if it like was a like lot of work to be honest with you. Listen, even if it was like those uh, plastic vampire things, mm-hmm. I would I would eat with those if it meant that I didn't have to worry about my teeth getting like a microscopic piece of food caught in between them and then creating a huge cavity. Well, wouldn't you rather than just like in that scenario, I'd rather just have all of my teeth pulled out and then just have like wolverine teeth put in right what's the material that wolverine's made out of titanium or something like that just give me those teeth yeah it's titanium but no it's it's a a made up one right yeah yeah yeah. and then I don't have to worry about messing anything up No. or you could say just give me the Justin Blizzard special because that's basically the teeth I have already (laughs) I if, if they gave me an option to pull all my teeth right now, and then re- replace them with teeth with like fake teeth that would never decay, mm-hmm. I would do. It, but I know that I know that that causes issues. Does like it further? There, yeah, there are other complications. Just mm-hmm. I I remember even as a kid thinking about it because I just my my teeth are they have weak enamel or whatever, mm-hmm. so I was always getting cavities. I remember. You know, even as a kid, my grandmother had like full dentures, and I I think I remember asking her or somebody like, "Why can't I just get dentures?" And they're like, "Oh no, it it actually like creates more problems." Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, a solution to I guess just have baby gums again when you're an adult. You know. Well, you know who else has weak enamel? Um. Carl Marx did. Call it boot, Mark. Helly R. Helly, was that a plot point? It it's mentioned at some point in the show, and it's in a Reddit post that I'm going to talk about later tonight. That's why I know it. Yeah. So we we're doing a wrap up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you you pulled some Reddit. I. I've read some interviews. Okay. So how do how do we want to do this? Just kind of jump back and forth with the things that we've read, or is there a structure? Have you um, thought of a structure for the uh, conversation? Yeah, we can do whatever. I think first we need to address the elephant in the room, uh, Mister Bobo Cramp, our our reviewer. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. 
our, our brand new uh, star review. Yeah. Literally star. <clears throat> yeah, so we got a review that you brought my attention to. Um, and I actually, I took a screenshot of it because I was thinking to myself, you know what, I bet this guy's going to feel bad about this review and he's going to come back and he's going to take it down before we record. But, no, it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, listen, I, I, I mentioned when I brought your attention that I think it's a secret good review. I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I've actually come, come around to that point, too. So let me read the review for anyone that's not aware. We got a, a one-star review from Bobo Cramp. Uh, why would you make a severance podcast series if you admit to not paying attention? Confusing characters, character name pronunciations, obvious plot points, the general rules of the world the narrative is set in doesn't seem to make sense to the hosts at all. It literally makes no sense how neither of you have no idea what's going on in the show, and I'm not referring to minutia. I'm referring to just things that occur. These two guys have great voices to listen to, and I'm sure they're lovely people, but this was genuinely one of the worst narrative reflections I have ever seen, read, listened to, or otherwise consumed. Yeah, and I, I want to say initially, my my first thought in reading that was that was an email, right? <laughs> uh-huh. It's written like an email. Sure, it is yeah, written a little written bit like, like he's like he's emailing our boss or something. Yeah, well, it 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 begs a, a response, right? Like, why would you? It starts with a question, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, up top, I do want to say anybody who takes the time to write anything about the podcast, I welcome. I think it's fantastic. Thank you for for writing. You know what? I don't welcome it. It's funny you say that because to me, it says something about a person who is so willing to just pull their pants down and show their bare ass to everybody. Well, that's what he's he's, he's uh, accusing us of. Doing, well, right? right. So to me, it says something about a person to go out of your way to like shit on the little guy in public. You know what I mean? Like we're not, we haven't been hired by Apple to do this podcast. We're not, we're not being paid by anybody. We're not trying to sell you grooming products, right? Just two buds yeah. talking to each other about a TV show. Sometimes we don't remember somebody's name. Not a big deal. Happens to everybody, right? Also, completely legitimate review, right? But at the same time, I feel like he may have only listened to the first episode of the podcast because we get our stuff together later on. I'll admit the first one or two may be a little rough, but we pull it together. We know what we're talking about eventually. Here's here's my my hot take is his third paragraph, right? Basically, is the point of why we do this. Right. It's two people who uh, like talking to each other. Don't get to do it enough, you know. Yeah. Like uh, mostly it's just text, right? 
But to actually sit down and, and talk about something specifically, like you've got to schedule that time a lot of times, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and hey, if you think our voices are listenable, which I don't, uh, for me specifically, yep. then, then we've already succeeded. Exactly. You know, say. if one person listens and they go, oh, I could actually listen to these voices. Right. And that's why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we're, we're that's not the first time I've ever gonna... gotten a compliment on the sound of my voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that, that, that's the point. So I say, like, up top, the thesis of this podcast is not to, like, break lore, to figure literally anything out. Right. We're not here to we be won't. hosts of a severance podcast. <laughs> if you want some guy that's going to be like, hey, welcome to the severance post show. Right, that's not you're at the you're listening to the wrong podcast. Yeah, I mean, until everything does turn into a media conglomerate, subsidiary, <laughs> right. everything. Yeah, sports yeah, and drink. I'll say, lovely people, and we have good voices. Go. Those are the two things about ourselves that we can't change. Right, all this other stuff we can change. Right. You went. Hey. We'll we'll turn it around. Listen to a couple more episodes, Bobo. Give us a chance. Constructive feedback. If if I want to constructively feedback the the review, you know, number one, I would say you wrote an email. You could just plug that into an email and send it to one of us, right? And you're going to get a response, and it's going to be telling you what a great person you are too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of back rubs and massages both ways yeah hey number two if you want to email email right if you're going to put me on blast publicly it's going to come right back at you number two uh i would say based on his review that's a two-star review you know he found our voices listenable and said that we're lovely people yeah so give us boost that that extra star for that you know what i mean i was also going to say when you you know when somebody prefaces something with "I'm sure they're nice," they're about to say something very mean, <laughs> right? Uh, well, and then the last piece I will say is you you've got to stick the landing, like what you just said, right? You're setting up your big conclusion. You throw out a nice compliment. You're mm-hmm. setting up like you know you've done most of the trick. Now you just need to land and not wobble. And he says, you know, you, you have in front of you, uh, this is the worst narrative, <laughs> something reflection. That he's read, listened to. What was the third one? Phase read himself in. Li- yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, rolled up and stuck between his toes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Otherwise consumed, there's only so many ways to consume uh, a review content, mm-hmm. and he listed them. So by adding that little extra, that that to me was the was the deduction on his landing, where it's like, ah, I don't think you can consume a review any other way that I know of. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. I would say he gets he gets a two star review on his review. And I would say maybe skip skip a couple episodes. Go to, to tune into episode like four or five, and then we're on we're on our we're on the ball on that one. 
hey, just wait till you get to our remote episode. <laughs> exactly. Where I'm calling in. Right. And the last oh. thing I'll say, like like picking on people for mispronunciations and da da da, that's like schoolyard stuff, right? We're we're older than that. Sometimes you forget somebody's name. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm to the age where literally my favorite things in the whole world, if we talk about books, movies, and music, I can barely remember. <laughs> Right. Things, things that I grew up watching over and over and over again, and that truly meant a lot to me. I could not tell you probably all the main characters. I'm going to forget huge portions of it. So, yeah, first first time shows, I'm going to struggle with names. I'll be honest. Yeah, it's tough. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to do a mind map in front of me so I can keep it all together. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. You said you read some interviews. Did you read this IndieWire interview? Yeah, so I read a few. I read the one where uh, Dan Erickson talks about writing the self-help book. Okay. I sent that to you. I read one with Ben Stiller and Dan Erickson talking about the design of the show. Right, yeah, that's the one I read. Yeah. And then um, Helly realizing the twist of her character and, and a few others. Mm-hmm. I came prepared, basically. Okay. okay. Do you have one you want to talk about first? I mean, I guess the, the one that really stands out to me is is the shortest. It's Dan Erickson talking about writing the self-help book. Yeah. And... What I what I loved about it is how it balances like it's ridiculous and goofy, but not to the Emmys. To the Emmys, it's equal to the scripture that they were taught. Mm-hmm. You know, based on the Lumen employee handbook, right? Which is actually written like scripture. You know, it seems like somebody really put a lot of effort into it. Whereas Rickon, like he says in the interview, he's like, yeah, I kind of get the feeling that Rickon isn't much of a rewriter. That kind of gets an idea in his head and then he writes it out. And he goes, yep, another pearl. Right. <laughs> Let's keep this going, you know. And it made me want to see Rickon in his writing room really bad. Because mm-hmm. I bet he's like dancing and like pumping himself up on his own, like stupidity, yeah. <laughs> and just like blowing his own mind uh, in real time. That'd be that'd be great to see. Did you have any thoughts on it? I didn't read it. <laughs> Don't let Bobo oh, know. You didn't, you didn't... <laughs> I sent it to you days ago. I didn't know you want me to read it. <laughs> I, it's literally three paragraphs. Okay. Like, well, it sounds like I just got it then. I just got it from you. I mean, it, yeah, I, I summarized it. But the one thing that I will say, too, is, that, you know, I definitely had this thought. When I was a kid, I would read a lot. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, definitely was somebody who was trying to like figure it all out and thinking that it could be figured out. So I remember reading like Marcus Aurelius, like his little, you know, quote and, you know, all this stuff. And I remember, you know, thinking even as a kid, I was like, you know, all these, you know, idioms, mm-hmm. these sayings, they're, they're so meaningful. Like somebody wrote them down and preserved them and, and translated them. And, you know, so I could read Marcus Aurelius today or like the Proverbs, you know, in the Bible and stuff like that. But the sentiments that are being conveyed are still really basic. You know, things don't get more profound than like, you're going to die someday. So like, live with the knowledge that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, okay, that's that's good advice. But then it's just like variations on like, how can I say it more eloquently? And how can I add more words or bring another allusion to it or another image? You know what I mean? And it's like, in the end, self-help taps into that dichotomy of it is very it can be very helpful, you know, to, to sit there and have somebody tell you, you know, like everybody says, like, we hate, well, I can't speak for you. I really dislike Jordan Peterson. I think uh-huh. he's a big dumb, right? Oh, really? Do you remember when Man, he was one getting... Of my, one of my favorites. I can't believe we disagree it, on this. I figure. <laughs> Did you follow through on that tattoo you were going to get of him? <laughs> yeah. um, but he, when, when he was coming to prominence, right, the, the kind of, it wasn't even a critique. It was like a compliment where people were like, Hey, listen, for his audience, they need to be told to like clean their room. Right. You know, and like get organized, get, get a kind of perspective on life. So people were like, yeah, no, he's good. You know, he's saying what needs to be said. But I mean, like that was literally what he was saying, right? Clean your room. Right. Like get, get some motivation. That's what self-help, boils down to that's what all these that's what Marcus Aurelius boils down to right Mm -hmm. it's all kind of basic and in some ways obvious at the same time it's profound right because they're like oh yeah you know what I I need to actually be about something (laughs) what did you say to me jokingly the other day uh about Easter is that phrase like if you believe anything <laughs> yeah if you if you if you believe in nothing you'll fall for anything if you believe in nothing you'll Something fall like for that. anything <laughs> yeah it's like all that stuff right like you could put that up there with the most profound quote and flip a coin and, and depending on the day and the person somebody would be like wow that's really really amazing that's right. the most amazing thing i've ever heard so anyway that's my long speech about the uh about the joke self-help book and, and how I love how it it does kind of speak to my perspective on the on the reality of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did, do you want to throw something out? Did he you read on uh, did um how much of the self-help book did he write? It was he because he said it. I think the thing you sent me, it was he was talking about it was him just getting out all of his bad ideas, right? So I'm assuming yeah, so it's just him said, like texting himself these terrible 
idioms or whatever. Yeah, so he he said that he really enjoyed writing all the supplemental material for the show. Yeah, yeah. He obviously wrote that ebook. He wrote mm-hmm. the self help book, and he said that you know he was writing it, and then they cast Rickon, and you know he really liked that actor. And he said once he once they cast him, he said that he would just sit in a room. And then, like, play act as the actor, mm. you know, mm-hmm. because that that actor is also somebody who kind of he doesn't always play the same character, but he, you know, he he kind of plays variations on on the character. So I think Dan Erickson kind of tapped said he tapped into him, and then once he once he kind of saw the actor, he he really went to town. He said mm-hmm. kind of really started writing from that perspective. So yeah, it was all him. And then at some point it was him channeling, you know, the, uh, the actor, the actor. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Well, I read the IndieWire one, which you also read, and I didn't realize it was going to be mostly about just like the design of the show. Yeah. Um, there's some good stuff in there though. Yeah, there is, but I checked out a little pretty early on, but I did read it, but, um, I did think it was interesting. Uh, they they do talk about the design of the show. Talk about like finding, um, the the building is called Bell Labs or something like that. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in New Jersey, and how they were going for this aesthetic of like having a like I guess minimalist office setup without being like boring, and I I think uh, without the idea is like without being so obvious obvious about like look at how terrible office life is just look at the this you know this building and these drab surroundings or whatever because it it does walk a, a really good line of like just being like very severe and utilitarian you know uh which makes sense like bare bones for the office setup but at the same time it is very like visually it's still very visually interesting you know what i mean Absolutely. No, I think I, it, to me, it's amazing. Cause I, I think I remember saying in the first episode that one of the things that gave me confidence in the show was the way that they filmed. Yeah. Just the, the parking, the parking lot, lot with you the know? snow. Yeah. Yeah. With the snow in the building, you're like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. This definitely has a look mm-hmm. and they know what they're trying to say and, and do with this. And yeah, the, the architecture, which is why I think that that article was more than just your standard like, oh yeah, you know, we wanted it to feel lived in, so we threw books. And, oh, here's a fun story. Those are actually my books. I came to set with them. You know, like the the normal stuff that you'd hear. Yeah. Um, with this show, I do think the look and design of it actually does inform the the storytelling. They, they talked about the um, the cubicles with the moving walls. Yes, I made it, yeah, I made a note of that because that was one thing that we I don't think we ever talked about during the during the episodes, but it's a, just such a genius little touch, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's never there's never like attention drawn out to it. Really, it just happens, and it's so perfect, and it's such a great idea. 
it, it is. And I mean, there's still images that stick in my mind. Like, uh, I'm going to do it again. Dylan. Dylan. A, where there's still an image when I think about Severance, I just see Dylan with the divider right at his eye level. Right. And he's kind of peering over at Healy. You know, you, mm-hmm. you just get so many great kind of looks and you can, and they talk about in the, in the episode how you can kind of block scenes with it, right? Who's right. wall is up, who's down. Yeah, the, um, there's yeah, a moment where Ir- someone's talking in Irv, like, pushes it down real quick and just says something and it goes right back yeah. up. <laughs> it's so good, man. Yeah. I love I love it. Yeah. And and it's so crazy that based on the article and I, I agree with this, it seemed like they kind of designed it for the show. That that those don't really exist. I could be wrong. Oh um, yeah, no, I think it, it was specifically for the set. Yeah, in the article they mentioned that it was like the the um, that designer or whatever was like, oh yeah, we could make them movable. I, I don't know if he's talking about like, oh, I'll just go buy them. Like he knew where to buy them, mm-hmm. or if that was like a design feature. But yeah, no, I mean, I could see those being in, like, be, I could see those being used, you know, and have utility. Yeah, it's great. <clears throat> um, they also. Oh oh oh. Go can, ahead. Can I say really quick? The one thing that I would love to have on mine, if I could make my own, mm-hmm. is like a little mail slot. So I could like push my finger through and then <laughs> glare at somebody uh-huh. sure. through it and then close up my little mail mail slot when yeah. I'm done glaring at them. That, that, that would be great. Yeah. Okay, go on. Um, they confirm in this IndieWire article that... Ben Stiller is the voice of the video game cube. Exactly. I was going to bring that too because you called it out, then you went back on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because hey. in the credits they list someone else different as Kier, but I guess that's just like the actor. Well, he mentioned in the article that they used his voice in a previous episode. Right. As Kier, which is why he's credited. Mm. But for that, yeah, they used Ben Stiller. Which, I'll say, uh, if you think we missed stuff, um, just Exhibit A. Right yeah, there. exactly. We, we got that. We got a lot of stuff. Voice. You just got to listen yeah. to more than one episode. That's all. Uh, and then I thought the Waffle Party question was interesting. Not necessarily for the answer that he gives. Um. But they they ask him about the waffle party, and then Erickson says, idea kind of came out of nowhere when we were developing. We were like, okay, but we're not actually going to do that, right? We didn't want to do something that was shocking or strange just for this, its own sake. But we talked about how all aspects of humanity are commodified and incentivized in this world, blah, blah, blah. So basically the thing that I find interesting about it is that the waffle party... Again, I guess this is the thing that I keep harping on throughout the, the, which goes back to the true detective stuff is like, we get this thing like the waffle party and it's like, oh, look at all these different aspects of it that, that are like have little nods to other parts of the season, blah, blah, blah. The dancers are somehow recreating the painting that Bert and Irv are staring at at one point. But then it turns out that it's, it wasn't this, it's not this thing that's been like built into the story from day one. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do it. Who cares? 
so it's kind of like, you know, to, to again, to me, it's just another point of like, how much do you read into things and how much do you just take it as like, yeah, it's just the waffle party. And it's yeah, got some and it, Easter eggs to it. There's nothing deeper to it than that. Right. It, it goes back to, you know, none of us make shows. No one right. jumping on the Reddit message for you and I this podcast none of us make a TV show you know and our perception of it is wildly different than the reality yeah and that to me comes out in in situations like this where we are watching the finished product of you know countless people mm-hmm. you know having their and years, you know, fingers in the pot and compromises mm-hmm. and other ideas and, and all that stuff. And then we sit back and then we analyze that product as if we are also creators, you know? Right. Because then we say like, oh, well, and then this means that. And then what, what does that mean? And then but it's like no one, they didn't look at it like you're looking at it. You know what I mean? You're, you're looking at a product that maybe even people worked on the show were like, I had no idea it's going to look like this, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or or feel like this. So, you know, that that's that kind of dichotomy and, and probably one of the biggest disconnects when you get people who analyze shows and especially like mystery box shows or shows with questions. If you, you're never going to be able to bridge that gap from like, I'm, we're in a writer's room. We're we're sketching out this idea, and then we're going to fill it in in all these various different ways. And then the final product is going to be what it is. And then the audience then has its own process for receiving it, tearing it apart, looking at it. So it's not like you know some some commenters I think feel like they're tracing their way back to a writer's room. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you can never, you're not doing that. You yeah. can never do that. You are, you're going in a completely opposite direction. You know, nobody had that, had the approach that you had. So yeah, you just got, you got to let it all go in the end and be like, I'm going to throw out an idea because I think it's fun to engage. But at no point am I going to sit there and be like, well, this is definitely this. You know, <laughs> right. this, yeah. <laughs> this is this means this, and that means that. You know, Cobo right. like, is definitely a robot, and this is why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I also want to point out, just for some of the uh, maybe more pedantic people in our audience, that throughout this IndieWire article on a website interviewing the actual people who made the show and they've misspelled lumen multiple times okay i thought that i thought they did too i again because they used an e right yes Mm -hmm. and they used lumen and there's a point where i was like that that can't be right but then i just kept reading i was like maybe i maybe my memory's wrong yeah uh and then did you have another article that you read yeah, the, the other one wasn't wasn't as in, insightful um, for me, but I'll, I'll pull it up and, and refresh. Do you want to throw out some Reddit 
threads that you sure yeah i i went through the reddit um i went through the subreddit um to pick out a couple of things um so oh you know what i guess i'll talk about the weak enamel one since we talked about that earlier uh someone found so someone uh did a freeze frame on when Irv brings out the employee handbook mm-hmm. and you get a glimpse of one of the pages oh no this isn't the employee handbook this is some it's some book i don't know what it is okay get off my case it's some book about the Egans that Irv is reading from. But they circled this passage, and it's blurry, so I'm going to do my best to read it. But it says, uh, this is, I believe this is Kier talking about himself. Uh, my skin was prone to ample bruising and a remnant of the, as a remnant of the com- of the consumption of the, and of the close biological relationship betwixt my mother and father, so I often walked the seven miles home. <coughs> so just pointing out basically that the Egans are products of incest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then someone in the comments brings up that they think maybe that's what Helly R's line about. Having weak enamel is about. Where is the comment at now? Right, like yeah, you don't get eyebrows like that without some inbreeding. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, I can't find the enamel comment now, but that's part of it. Uh, and then there was another larger thread about. Um, Someone was just sharing kind of, we we, we uh, went back and rewatched the whole season. Here are some things we picked up on after, right, watching the finale, rewatching it a second time. And there's a lot of stuff in there, obviously, that we've already covered because, right, we do our homework. We know what we're talking about. Um, but there was some stuff that I thought was interesting. So one thing that they point out is that Heli or Helena as a child, uh, they talk about how she had, she admired the blue and green lights of this first severed ship, right? That was her like moment of obsession or whatever, where she became obsessed with the chip and with the whole process. And they point out that throughout the uh, season up until the moment where they like band together to take Lumen down, She's every day she wears a combination of blue and green. Mm. Uh, so just, you know, a lot of these I think are going to be like that. Like, and it goes back to, to like the cubicle thing where it's just like, there's just so many little touches about the show that are just so good. You know what I mean? Just, they're just, they put so much thought into it <laughs> and these little things that like you don't necessarily pick up on, but are like, they sort of stick into your subconscious, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a, Oh, so they point out that let me, okay. So this was, this take was a little bit controversial. The, the, the poster pointed out that Cobell drives a Volkswagen white rabbit, right? Which they say symbolizes her descent into madness. A la Alice in Wonderland. Following Alice in Wonderland. Wonderland. I mean, 
yes, no, reading too much into it, just a neat little thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to track that like in the way it was shot too. Mm. You know, like did I get the feeling of like watching the white rabbit like rush to its destination, you know? Yeah. And the answer is no. There's nothing that would make me think Alice in Wonderland other than her driving, you know, a white rabbit. But sure, I like the idea. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, don't think it's it any major any thing. Level, but yeah. Right. Right. It also plays into like the um like retro futurist aesthetic thing they're going for, right? Cuz it's an old car that she's driving and I'm sure that it's just is like if anything at, at most it's just like a tip of the cap or whatever. Uh they right. point they point out that Gemma aka Miss Casey has been dead for two years, but Miss Casey has only been awake for 107 hours, which she talks about in the second to last episode, maybe. And uh, most of that in half an hour increments. Uh, So it's just kind of, uh, I guess, leads to the question of like, you know, what is, what is she doing? Right. Or what are they doing with her? I guess is like, right. Uh, is, is, is Gemma like, I guess, conscious at all? Or is the awake asleep thing kind of like more literal where it's like, if it's not Miss Casey the innie, then she's just, I don't know, asleep. Well, she, she mentions when she's talking to Mark how um she's like i know i'm off right, right. Mm-hmm. like it seems that she's missing aspects like the, the initial thing that i thought was like a, a lobotomy basically you know yeah. where she seems to be altered and somewhat aware of it but helpless to change it you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's the way that she expresses herself or doesn't, um, but she definitely seems, you know, she, she seems like the other thing that makes me think is like somebody who is, uh, on like heavy antidepressants, mm-hmm. you know, um, where just everything feels muted. And, uh, and yeah, it's so definitely, she definitely gives me that, that sense, that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's another moment where they pointed out that early on in the season, when any Mark is in the kitchenette, right? Not the break room, the kitchenette. Mm-hmm. And he says, wowie kazow for some reason, right? Later on in the season, Devin also says wowie kazow at the playground. It's just a little a little thing, right? So it's just uh, another one of those things where uh, the subconscious seeping into 
right? The severed floor. But I thought the, the, I guess the reason I want to talk about it is because, and I don't know if, um, I don't think we mentioned this on the earlier podcast is that I thought they did a really great job of, um, establishing like the relationship and like the dynamic between Mark and Devin. Like they have a Mm -hmm. lot of little moments like that, that again, aren't pointed out. They're not like leaned into, you know, they just have a lot of really good and small back and forths that make a really believable like sibling dynamic. Yeah. Uh, How about when they walk into the perpetuity wing and Irving quotes Egan saying children of my industry meet the children of my blood, which is exactly what Heliar represents. Uh, Very beginning. Oh, one of the five questions they ask. And I didn't pick up on this when I watched it the second time, I guess, really. Uh, So one of the questions they ask Heli when she wakes up in the conference room or whatever, when she wakes up on the table is what's Mr. Egan's favorite breakfast? which there's a couple ways yeah. you can look at it. Someone else goes out, someone else points out that when you then see her um, going to get the procedure, Milchik makes it a point to say Mr. Egan's favorite breakfast was, you know, whatever it was, three raw eggs and a glass of milk or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could be testing that, but I think, you know, also it plays into the idea of like, she would she might know that anyways because she's a Negan. Right. Uh oh, there's a right. lot of, there's like like that, that that was the first clue, right? Like I remember that was the first uh, yeah. thing mm-hmm. when, when I was like, I'm gonna if I wanted to figure the show out, what would I pay attention to? Because I, I watched the, the first two episodes twice before we record and that was one, like the the questions they asked us. Like one of those has to be a clue, mm-hmm. and right, like yeah, Egan's favorite food. Well, you would ask a character something that they would know intimately, right? Right. And that that was even early on that one stood out. I just didn't have enough information put together. Not that smart. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of discussion about. Rickon's friends and whether they're severed or not. And a lot of people are doing a lot of work to try and convince themselves that Rickon's friends are severed. And I'm still not buying it. No, I, I reject that. For yeah. sure. They, they um, go into breakdown, like they try and break down that, uh, the scene from the first episode where they have the dinner party with no dinner and just pointing out like how strange these questions are and they're not actually giving their opinions on severance and they're just kind of factually explaining it and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Again, I just see it as more of a, if anything, just like a convenient way to really explain what severance is. You know what I mean? I don't see it as like (laughs) an underhanded way to be like, these people are also severed. Right. <clears throat> and it's also interesting because, and I think maybe we've talked about this a little bit, but it's kind of like, how do you walk the line of like making a joke 
or making something funny while also not like creating these false ideas. You know what I mean? Like the scene with um uh when Bert's giving his retirement speech. Is the whole thing right. just written to be funny? Or is it written to be like an example of how much control Lumen and Milchik have on their employees, right? A la they're making Bert really hammer home how much he has no idea these people are because they want to <laughs> piss off Irv. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. I was going to say something. I forgot. Uh, and then there's one last thing from the Reddit that I wanted to read or one last thing from this part that I wanted to read. There's other things that we can talk about later. Um, let me pull the link up. I thought this was a really good explanation of, uh, so we talked a little bit about in the finale about the, concept of maybe the Egan's using the severance chip to like somehow transfer consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this was a really good uh, sort of illustration of that. This comment says uh, severance might be a misnomer that the chip is not creating the any by dividing the consciousness of one person in half severing the memories to create two marks or two helis, etc. Rather, the chip contains a sentient AI, a truly new person who, when the chip is activated, takes over that body. The elevator doesn't split Mark's memory into two self-contained units. Rather, it puts Mark's consciousness to sleep uh, and turns on the consciousness contained within the chip, a truly new person, a person given Mark's name, told that they are Mark, but who is uh, Mark in name only. So I thought that was a good way to explain it. It's almost like the um, being John Malkovich, right? Right. <clears throat> um, which, again, I don't know if I totally fall in line with this, but I do think it's interesting just because, like we pointed out, I think the idea that uh, Kier or who is this is going to get me in trouble. Who is Helly's? Her dad's not Kier, right? Kier is like the guy mm -hmm. that created all of it. But her dad, the idea that like her dad has been living for hundreds of years or whatever by transferring consciousness through the chip, which I think is an interesting. And I think, you know, that is a good explanation of it, but, he's looked the same the entire time. <laughs> so obviously that's not <laughs> going on. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, what about the, so what is the article that you read? Um, so I, I read one, um, article about the, uh, about, I, so one thing I wanted to talk about maybe as a wrap up or kind of now that this season is done, like favorite episodes, um, maybe a few 
questions that are primarily undermined for for season two. Okay. And the article I read was, I think, I, I want to go back and watch the whole thing again. And I, I love the finale, but I think my favorite episode was the uh, dance party episode. Uh-huh. And I just read an article about, um, you know, that that episode and what they what they're trying to do in filming it. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I was going to talk about that. And then I read an article that from Pace where it was basically like what to read um, while you wait for season two. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of other media about workplaces. And I maybe wanted to talk about some of that stuff in terms of like what you've read that may maybe jumped out or, or experienced or played that you know, Severance made you think about, and then if you're interested in, like, reading or, or diving into, you know, worlds like this in the off season, or if, like, Severance really is a standalone product for you. It's like, nope, Severance is as much as I want from, like, office satire, not interested in, like, digging more into that field mm-hmm. or, or genre. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the last thing I wanted to say about the show, and, and again, based on an article that I was looking at, was, you know, this is office horror from the perspective of the workers, right. which is a unique approach and something that I do think makes it stand out, where the owners, the leaders are still, you know, driving in some ways the, the, the story and the narrative but they're largely unseen and instead by grounding it in the workers it just makes the story have a different feel to me it's more impactful like I'm kind of tired of hearing stories about like Elizabeth Holmes and the WeWork guy and like yeah, all these other crazy CEOs it's like I'm, I'm tired of seeing like uh, they're power hungry and they're stupid and and instead I I am kind of hungry for like tell me the stories of the people you know what I mean like I'm more interested in like the workers who were probably looking at Elizabeth Holmes and being like I think she's nuts yeah, I think exactly. she's crazy right. you know what I mean as opposed to all the people in her inner circle who are like she's a revolutionary she's going to change the world or are just trying to make a buck off of her you know i'm tired of those stories it's like in in all these corporations and companies i do think that the feeling is probably the people who have their pulse on these corporations and companies more than anyone else are the day-to-day workers you know who see through all the corporate speak we've been you know we're fans of arm brown he's been doing like a series on on Howard Schultz, mm-hmm. right? The CEO of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Basically showing how the guy has almost zero ideas. He's purely fueled on like corporate speak and gibberish. Right. And he gets ex- accelerated up the chain of command to lead a whole co- company. And it's like, I bet any barista you know, who's worked at Starbucks for four plus years probably has a better sense of 
who Howard Schultz is as a leader right. and his shortcomings <laughs> and what Starbucks maybe needs to do than anybody in, in higher management, you know? Yeah. That's just my feeling. I could be wrong. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think uh, another aspect of that that's important and that is is kind of the idea of, like, it's not just, like, this is what it's like to work for, you know, the WeWork guy. It's like, this is kind of what we have to do to survive. You know what I mean? Like, I have to work for this maniac to feed my family. I don't want right. to, but it's like, what choice do I have? You know? Um, yeah. I think in terms of, like, this is something that we always go back and forth on. So I guess I would be interested to hear your side of it, but it's like, in terms of, am I looking for another Severance-esque show to fill in the the gap? Right. Nope, I'm good with Severance. Just give me. I'll just if I feel like watching something like that again, I'll just watch the first season again. <laughs> I don't need a couple other shows. Yeah, it, it, like that's what's interesting when you see, you know, like when I saw that page article, I was like, here's what to read while you wait for season two. Right. Is when it comes to like office satire, it is such a careful, like balancing act and line to walk because, again, we're all living. You know what I mean? I, I don't necessarily want to experience or need you know, art to make me feel more miserable about the nature of the work, mm-hmm. you know, which is why I think Severance is so amazing in that it's funny and has other things going on than just being like, here's, here's how miserable it is to be a, a peon, you know, mm-hmm. in a company today. And it, it's telling an interesting story. And I don't know that many stories do that. You know what I mean? The severance didn't really make me think like, ooh, what's an ecosystem like this that I could fall into um, necessarily? But then in reading that article, it made me think of a few things. And I wanted to throw them by you and see what what you thought um, and see if you've maybe played some of these things or or if you have thoughts about them. Okay. the first one is Super Sad True Love Story. Mm-hmm. Did this make you think at all about that story and the way it was written in the narrative? Yeah, I mean, it's been so long since I read that book. I can't say it did. The only thing I truly remember from Super Sad True Love Story is there is an insanely long passage where he's just describing, I think it's the Brooklyn bridge and it just goes on forever. I was like, <laughs> please stop talking about this bridge. I don't care. Um, that. And then the only actual concept I remember is the onion skin jeans where it's like the whole model yeah. thing has become the whole trend has become jeans that are basically see-through. 
Yeah, I think there's in the world building that that book definitely gave me a sense of the world in a way that Severance, I think, made me made me feel. Uh, obviously, I think Severance is more striking because I I like the images that they provided, whereas I had to kind of yeah imagine for myself what the see jeans would would look like. Um, have you read any Douglas Copeland? No. D- Douglas Copeland is an interesting writer, and I'd be interested in what you think of of his writing. But um, he kind of writes about like an- another comparison that I have, like Douglas Copeland um, and Severance, and and that style is like almost like white noise. Mm-hmm. I know you read White Noise, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and how that world is again stylized. It's it's not like I don't know any. I work in higher ed. I don't know any, you know, uh, professor that could get a job as a Hitler studies professor. Like that's their job. Like right. that's what they teach. Yeah, is Hitler studies. So it's it's satirical, but. Like it, it is funny, um, and Douglas Copeland, I think, writes in in a similar vein. Um, Don DeLillo definitely like. I, I've read a few of his other books, and none of them feel like white noise, you know. Yeah. So I think he's definitely more of a iconoclast from mm-hmm. what I've read of him, whereas Douglas Copeland is definitely like in a vein, like it, all of his books feel like Douglas Copeland books. Um, but yeah, the, the book that stands out to my mind is All Families Are Psychotic uh-huh. um, by, by him. So that's one that I'd, I'd be interested to get your perspective on. Um, the Stanley Parable. Did you ever play The Stanley Parable? No. Uh-uh. Do, do you know what it, what it is? Uh, is it a walking simulator? Kind of. It's it's a little more um, crafted, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and it's shorter. Like it's complete office satire. You play a character. There's a a voiceover narrating your actions and your thoughts, and it's really funny, really satirical, and it's one of those games that you could go a million different directions so i think the first time i played it it definitely took me over an hour mm-hmm. um but it, it kind of loops and depending on what you go and what you follow um it, it kind of builds out this narrative um and i really enjoyed it and i thought indy you know who's 13 i was like i, I bet he might find this funny i think he's old enough to get it mm-hmm. And I've never seen somebody just <laughs> completely walk into a trap like mm-hmm. so quickly than both of us did. Right. Number one, I set him up, like I got the game all ready to go, built it up, stocked it up, is what's gonna be. And then Indy proceeded to go a route that I've never <laughs> never seen. Yeah. And it ends with like the character being killed and 
it got traumatic. Like it yeah. got scary. I didn't know the game could get scary. And I scarred, like can be scarred. I mean, they did it. Yeah. Absolutely. And it literally lasted, I don't think more than 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. It was like from the time he played, he's in this little office. I'm like, oh, Indy is so funny. And 90 seconds, seconds later, he's walking like into a fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, horrifying. But, uh, you know, it, it's definitely something I'd recommend. They're, they're coming out with like a, a deluxe version they've been working on for a while now. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to come out soon. I would definitely recommend the Stanley Parable, um, you know, and like, you know, Portal 2 for a good office satire too. I think Portal 2 d- delivers on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, that's my, I, my quick rundown. Yeah, I wanted to just uh, circle back and say that I really liked Super Sad True Love Story a lot when I read it. It's just been so long since I've read it that I don't, I've forgotten everything yeah. about it. <laughs> There's also a book called Then We Came to the End by Joshua Ferentz, which is kind of an office satire that I've heard about, and that might be the one that I pick up yeah. based on this case, case article, um, just based on Severance and and maybe wanting to read another, you know, office satire. But I think like you, I'm, I'm good. I'm good until season two. Right. I'm not inspired to, like, dive into office yeah my experience with with that has always been i mean it's always i mean of course as soon as you finish something that you love and then somebody's like oh you really like that we should check out this it's you're always just like oh man i can't i can't wait you know what i mean (laughs) and then you start and it's like yeah yeah whatever i think that's what it is for me and it's like i think most recently before severance i had that experience with disco elysium right because it was like you just finished Disco Elysium. Now look, check out all these books. It's just like, oh man, I can't wait. And I started like two or three of them. And I just couldn't follow through on any of them. You know, right? Because it's not Disco Elysium. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's the problem is when when you pick like an all time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Disco Elysium is like a a gem. It's like a perfect gem. Right. Then be like, oh, here's something that it's glass. You know, but it, it'll serve. It kind of looks like a gem, you know, yeah. and you're like, ah, it's not the best. Um, okay, so... Thought... What, what, what's your favorite episode of the... Of yeah, the favorite episode, I would say probably my favorite episode was probably the one where uh, Bert is talking to Irvin Dillon and he's sharing um the rumors about MDR with them about how they carry larvae in their pockets and all that. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. probably my favorite because I think that was the episode when I realized like this is an amazing TV show. You know what I mean? Like yeah, this is yeah. they, they've got it. They're going to do. They can do no wrong. It's going to be great. This is right. I'm fully on board. Right. Yeah, I think that was. I want to say um, the U U R was that the fourth episode? Yeah, it was either the fourth or fifth. Yeah, the grim barbarity. No, the grim barbarity of optics and design. Yes. So that's what they, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then mine was the fine chat. I think that, right with the, the with the music dance experience uh, and just, 
Um, what else happens and, and, to that and Bert, Bert, Bert's retirement. Happens. Right. That's right. Yeah. It's, and that right. And that is also just so good. It's so good, and it just has like it has the lines like you know you you said it in in the in the episode when Irving just says you smug motherfucker You're like. Yeah. You smug motherfucker. You bit me. You broke the skin. Like, it's just got so many. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's great. Great, great moment. So, anyway, yeah. Great show. Super excited. I hope they take as much time as they need to to deliver. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to point out there's, um, there's a tweet up where someone uh uh someone uh, added Ben Stiller and they're like you know can't believe you're going to make me wait for the next season da, 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 da. and uh he was like said something like well it took us a couple years to make the first one so <laughs> we might be uh, in for the long haul on this one <laughs> which is fine yeah and and it, and it shows and i think you know we 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 touched on it it's like you can't rush like even even the, the time for Dan Erickson to write the side mission, right? You know, just write that ebook that got released, and then write the U U R, you know, and not just fill that with side stuff, but to actually like flesh it all out. Um, it, it it shows. I just I I have to believe that it, it pays off. You know. Yeah. In yeah. the final product. Yeah, so. and I would say you know looking back at like the likes of like true detective or I think the opposite of that is, um, is it called mind, mind, mind hunter? Mind hunter. Yeah. Right. So true detective, like the first season is great. It took this meathead seven years to make it. And then he has to rush the second one out in six months or whatever. And it's a total flop. And then you have Mindhunter where it's like, we're going to make a season and then we're going to take three years off until we make the next one. And I think I would rather have no second season at all, just an infinite stall of the second season than like a true detective level bad season two. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yep. So... What's next, Justin? What, what are we doing next? There's um, there's a show coming out with uh, based on John a John Krakauer book. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh right, the on, oh banner banner of under the banner of heaven, something like that. Yep, under the banner of heaven. There's um, Barry, the, the next season of Barry, which again mm-hmm. I think. I think maybe I've I've overhyped it for you, but it really is, I think, one of the best. You know what? Speaking of Barry, I watched the OG Barry last night, and it's still great. I don't know if you've ever talked about this movie. Gross Point Blank. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah, I definitely need to re- rewatch that. Uh, yeah, we watched so a yeah, couple Barry, episodes of the first season, and I don't know, just didn't stick for whatever reason. Man, it, it's so good. Um, Barry is good. Yeah, Under the Banner of Heaven, I think, starts this week. Um, oh, does it really? And, 
Yeah, and then I think there's one other um, show. I mean, Better Call Saul, but I know you're not. Um, yeah, no thanks. You're crazy for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Under the Banner of Heaven, first episode, April 28th. Okay, so nine days. So, yeah, ne- ne- next week. I, I totally forgot what day it was. I don't know why I thought we were, like, heavy into the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> God, this is only day two. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Okay. All right, well, yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk off air and, and pick a new... Uh, Go to cover maybe uh, we're going to see the Northmen this weekend. Oh, right? that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we can just do that next. So, week. yeah, there you go. If you want to follow along, watch the Northmen. Yep. All right. Candy. All right, man. All right. I'll talk to you later.